0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the co Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
1: All right, we are live. Okay. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus Amadeo and Grable Associates and the Six Like that the Six sign. Today we're gonna talk about the second New Jersey firm I worked for. Um Amber Heath emailed me last night. Amber I don't know if you're watching right now, but questing thanks Mike. Requesting when the next live was, and I know I gotta get more content done. And you know, it's. Mike told me to, and and Mike, I look up to you and I follow you on this concept of trying to speak from the heart. And sometimes it's easier to just put on a facade. I mean, I think my whole life I've been masking shit, right? I'm gonna let this one rip. This will be raw. It'll be real, and I'm going to try and go back to the moment. And the problem with that stuff is going back in the moment. This is one of the reasons why I don't write as much as I used to. You go back in that moment. You're living in that moment, right? If you want to be good at something. And this story, um, it still bothers me to this day. And I look at where I am today... I suppose where I was then, and it shouldn't, but it does, so I guess I'll ask the question to anybody out there who's listening or going to listen, have you ever wanted something so goddamn bad you could taste it, but in reality, you really didn't like the taste? It's what people told you you were supposed to be. What you supposed to do, or how you were supposed to look, or how you are supposed to act. You're supposed to date this girl. You're supposed to get this job. You're supposed to do this or that. And, you know, I think we lose originality. But I will tell you, back when I graduated from law school, I really wanted to make Aunt Mary proud. You know, Mom died a couple years earlier. And I'm at this point in life, The economy sucks. You're talking 2008, 2009. And being this big time lawyer in Jersey. That's what you were supposed to do. That was it. And I was fueled by anger. And when I say fueled by anger, I mean anger from people I grew up with. I mean the anger that just completely you want to choke somebody out. All these people said you were shit. Teachers, professors, exes, people who are supposed to be your friends, people you worked with at the casino who really rooting against you. And you're fighting. And you're back in Jersey and you land with this firm. And the first firm I worked with, I won't mention her name because that would be litigation. I busted my ass. Like, I bled for them. And I started working with them when I was still in law school and I was working with them remotely and the two partners were having some drama and I'll just leave it at that. And one of the partners fires me. And he basically told me, I told him what was owed to me, he goes, how much do we owe you? And I give him my hours and he goes, "Ah, you know what, I'm not going to pay you and sue me. Now you don't start your legal career by suing established lawyers. And I knew that, right? I mean, intellect was never an issue. Hurting somebody was still a concept I was wrestling with, but I get fired and I go to ICLE. ICLE is the Institute for Continuing Legal Education and in New Jersey at the time, you had to do your live ICLE classes. And I got fired two days before the first Ickle class. And I can't tell you what it was like going to these continuing legal education classes being unemployed. I'm going to Ickle without a job. So I'm always a worker. I start working as a journalist part-time and I'm bartending and I'm job hunting and I'm playing poker to try to make sure aunt maris protected financially i had some money saved that was dwindling and you go to these classes and these assholes are looking at you these upper middle class pieces of shit who i'm proud to say i stuck up their ass today but back then they got their suit and tie on and they're coming from their jobs and here you are you can't wear a suit and tie to this thing because um you're coming for your bartending gig you're sitting there and you're taking notes In like your bartending Uniform While they're all suited up They're laughing at you right Like even the ones that knew you they pretend they're cool But behind your back there's Little chuckles going on <laughs> Oh, What firm's he working with And um You're kind of lost And then you start, start wondering was this all worth it? The brutality and the financial aid debt and everything you overcame in your life to be a New Jersey lawyer and you're sitting here unemployed with a group of assholes who never had a tough day in their life. They're chuckling at you in this auditorium. You pissed. And I call Scott Zalber. I call Scott Easy look man i need to get a legal job and i'm not making any headway whatsoever he connects me with a local lawyer we'll just call him bob we'll change that assholes name bob is an italian from jersey that went to cooley italian jersey cooley this is kind of like your role model right I mean, you are this poor Dego from Jersey. Can I say Dego? I think I can because I'm Italian, right? Or would that be um politically incorrect? Okay. So I am the poor Dego from New Jersey who connects with this guy, right? We're boys. And I went for the interview a couple days before Thanksgiving. And at the time the job market sucks I mean, it just it's bad. You know, economy just blows. And I told Scotty that I have to separate myself from the crowd. I have to do that. And it's so weird because at that time in life, I'm believing you have to separate yourself from the crowd. And then today, I woke into a goddamn room, I just separate myself from the crowd. I don't know if it became learned behavior or what. Back then, this was it. I looked. this was my last chance. So I go to this interview. It's a couple days before Thanksgiving. And I buy this new suit that I can't afford. I gotta look the part, right? And I told the firm I was real with them. I come over to the top. Look, I need this job badly, and I will prove myself to you. I made a proposal, and I figured out how much money I had saved, what Aunt mayor needed to get by, what I needed to just get through the day, and I said I could go X amount of times without a salary. So I tell Bob, I will work until the first week of January free of charge. That means Thanksgiving, that means Christmas, that means New Year's, I'm going to prove to you that Bill Amadeo is going to be the best decision you ever made, and I want to do it for free, and when I prove you my worth, we could talk money then." This guy's blown away, right? It's like, wow. Kid, nobody's ever come at me like that. You're telling me you're willing to spend your money on gas your money on food, willing to try to make me money and not take a dime to prove who you are. Yep. Holy shit. Okay. Let's do it. So, I want to be different. And my Uncle Sam, I only may he rest in peace, such an amazing guy, he taught me that one of the ways to separate yourself from people, people that had more education than you, or people that had an easier ride than you, or more money than you at the time, or whatever, was to outwork them. Just outwork their ass. On the holidays, you go into work. And I'm calling Uncle Sam, I'm telling him what's going on. Says, All right, Billy, this is your shot. Make it happen. And um Thanksgiving night, I was in the office. Christmas Eve I was in the office Christmas Day I was in the office And things are getting weird Bob Didn't train me really But You know When you give a shit about something or someone You figure shit out So he'd send me to a deposition And I would own it he sent me to a criminal case I know what I was doing Took care of it like, he's throwing you in the water, and you don't know how to swim, but you better learn to be a goddamn Olympic swimmer right now, because this is all you got. I remember New Year's Eve came around, and an ex-girlfriend of mine called me up and to hang out and I said, no, I gotta work. I wanted to make Bob money. I want to prove to Bob and the rest of the goddamn world, I'm it. And your team is more important than me, and I'm trying to prove that by not taking a dime. And the bizarre situations keep going. And he's realizing, well, I could put him anywhere. He'll go do anything. You go drive two hours to cover a deposition, you come back with a new client. I mean, this is the type of shit that was going down. January 2nd, he comes in with a hangover, right? And he is celebrating. He's got some hot little mistress, and he's telling me everything. He's telling me things that, because a guy code, I would never share, but things that could absolutely bury him. And he is like, you're making me so much money, and I never so much as bought you lunch. He goes, wow, you don't stop work around the clock, and you've made my life so much better. He goes, next week, we're going to talk salary. You are with us for life. You are the best decision ever made. And I go home and I'm like, Tony Aunt Mare. yeah, I got it. I got it. Don't worry, Aunt Mayor. Got this shit. And you just want to make Aunt Mare proud, happy, right? Next couple days, things were weird with us. Um, I do not know why, but he seemed distant. I'm working. Foot has not come off the gas. Because now in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, shit, I got the job, but I'm going to show you it doesn't matter that I reached that goal. I'm going to go harder. I didn't sleep. I just wanted that firm to succeed. And four days after telling me I got the job, he brings me into his office. There's this guy there kid my age I guess whatever but this kid's sitting with a smirk on his face I don't know what's going on we'll just call him Greg Bill meet Greg Greg meet Bill and he goes Bill have a seat and he goes I don't know why he did it like this maybe he didn't know what my reaction would be I don't know he says this is greg and um greg just graduated from Rutgers. and i'm really sorry but the job we offered you is going to him and i'm like what you did amazing things and he didn't say hey here's a few thousand dollars for your trouble he didn't say thanks for the money you made me He didn't say, thanks for covering me when I was out in the town. What he said was, you're tough, you'll land on your feet. It's been a pleasure working with you, good luck. And I'm sitting there like, huh. And this asshole, the Rutgers grad, he's got like the smirk on his face. And his girlfriend's outside waiting for him. She's a lawyer across town. There was family politics going on. And you're you're in this moment, right? And I guess now I have money, but I don't feel like I've ever been one of them. I feel like I'm a ghetto kid that somehow just did okay financially, because I don't like those people. And I'm watching this kind of rich, upper middle class people and they're laughing Celebrating this job that he got just because he passed the Jersey bar and graduated from Rutgers. And I'm realizing at this point of life, there's nothing I can do. First, you're angry. You want to put your fist through a wall. Then you're confused, right? So now you're broke and more importantly, you're broken. I don't know what to do. It's like... Everything you worked for was right there! I got it! And then somebody just pulls that shit from you. And you're thinking about your life at this point. What do I do? Where do I turn? And I decide to come back to Michigan. And things took different turns obviously but at that moment i said to my aunt who's blowing her eyes out doesn't understand why this is happening i said i gotta go back to michigan i'm sorry Aunt i'm gonna take care of you financially i don't think i'm ever going to be who i need to be in new jersey i just don't feel it and i think i had to pass the jersey bar as more of a mental health therapy situation Like, I had to tell the assholes in Jersey, I'm gonna pass the toughest test you fucking got, and boom. Then I'm gonna go. And, um, I started this tutoring company, and things happened, and then one day, by the grace of God, I met Scott Grable, And you've heard that story, you'll hear different things about that. And Scott changed everything for me. But, um, Bob called me. I guess a year or so ago. And he offered me a large sum of money to come back to New Jersey and run his criminal law department that he wants to build around me. You know, I got to tell you you should never feel like second best in anything. Not your work, not a relationship, nothing. And he offered a large sum of money. And as he's making this offer to me, I'm thinking back to when he hired the smug Rucker's asshole 12 years earlier or whatever, who's now disbarred in New Jersey with a cocaine problem. Um, And you could find his girlfriend screwing any attractive lawyer in the area. But I digress. I guess I'm still a little better now. Um, And he made this offer come back to jersey you do this jersey this michigan thing and i said to bob knowing he was a basketball fan and i mean no disrespect to sam Bowie, but i said remember when portland picked sam Bowie over michael jordan he goes yeah they did a lot better than you did in this situation bro take that money and shove it up your ass i want nothing to do with this and he's stunned and he's like but i'm offering you good money because i'm ready to mortgage my house to bring you back yes of course you're willing to do that today back then you didn't even pay me for my fucking time i don't know man i was devastated for six seven weeks i bled I just remember going to the Ickle without a suit on, going to depositions, learning without being taught, putting the team first. Just wanting to prove to those around me that their needs are more important than mine. And when he went with the other option, like I said, you're broke, and you're broken at that point. But I think the biggest thing I learned from that situation, with so many in my life, is thank God for unanswered prayers. Because I'm sure I could have been with his firm today, and I'm sure I would have had a nice little life. And I'm sure this wouldn't have happened. I'm sure it would have been something I would have settled. And settling sucks. Don't ever settle. The positives are he put me in situations I didn't know how to do and you learned on the fly. The negatives are you broke my soul. But that made you stronger. And that, in a nutshell, is a story of a second firm in New Jersey. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from
0: McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
1: We're going to discuss some legal issues. And then the thing everybody's waiting for... Is conversations in bizarre places, and I, I realize you could relate to this. Sometimes we're watching a movie, we're watching TV, and things get very subjective. You'll see what I mean. I right, let's start with some legal issues because this one will take some weird turns. Let's start professional. In Michigan we are an implied consent state here's what that means if you drink and drive and you are asked to do a breathalyzer because the legislator hey chris curry says we are an implied consent state if you refuse to take that test you will lose your license automatically for one year and that's You know it's a horrible penalty there but that's where you're at with it you're better off taking the breathalyzer and then even if you fail it or you blow over that 0.08 or that 0.17 whatever happened that night it's easier to fix that than if you don't agree to take the test and people lose sight of that what happens is if you refuse to take the test then you got to hire a lawyer to do an implied consent hearing which means I have to file with the Secretary of State to try to show why that test was not taken. Here's where things get trickier with that, guys. usually lose the implied consent hearing if the officer shows up, but you have to file it to then be eligible to apply for a hardship driver's license. In 2023, we are not in a situation where you could be without driving. So let's go through it one more time. We're an implied consent state, Michigan. If you refuse to take the breathalyzer, you'll lose your license automatically. We have to to overcome that. You then have to file with the secretary of state, and then you would have to file a hardship license. And Chrissy Carey, I agree, drinking and driving is not a good idea, but to compound the situation, it is better to submit to the breathalyzer than not to. Driver's license restoration is like a fine art in and of itself. Um, In my opinion, the best firms for driver's license restoration are Grable and Associates, which I don't do them. Scott does. Megan Mast, who's Megan Smith now out of Tannis Schultz, she's amazing at it. And it's an art. It's like a left hand relief pitcher, it's a unique thing, but you don't want to be without your driver's license. And that's a big thing. What about recording people? People have been asking me about this lately. Michigan is a one-party consent state. What does that mean in English? Well, that means if you agree to consent to the recording, it doesn't matter if the other party doesn't. You've got to be careful in other states, because some states are two-party consent, which means it would be illegal, and there's these eavesdropping statutes that come into play. Michigan's odd on a few things because you could record somebody without their permission But you can't read their emails without permission And that creates a lot of drama. It's actually a crime to read somebody's email without their consent, but it is not a crime to actually It's not a crime to actually record them and Tina Edgel, Yes, I agree completely. I feel Ty Hale has not been given justice, and this is something we will talk about, and I, I don't believe that battle's over, but I agree completely, my friend. You know, and I, when we look at these case laws, when we look at these things, Michigan's weird, because it's the Bible Belt, right? I mean, it blows me away how a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, or hell, a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old can have consensual sex in the state of Michigan, and that's a 15-year felony. But a 16-year-old and a 40-year-old can do it consensually with no penalty at all. I mean, if you're a 40-year-old hooking up with a 16-year-old, you got some other problems going on, right? I mean, you're unstable, dude. That's messed up. You should not be hooking up with a pretty sophomore in high school. However, in Michigan, that's legal unless there is an authoritarian relationship. Like, a teacher cannot hook up with a student unless they're 18, But, I mean, it's just, it it blows me away. And I I learned so much of this in Lansing. I would see these children, these 16-year-old girls with these 40-year-old men. And it just, that disgusts me. Then I'm confused how two high school kids having consensual sex is a 15-year felony. The system is broken on so many levels. Um, Lady Justice is blind. And, you know... It's our job to try to help her navigate. And, you know, it's a tough time right now. I just see so many cases going on that should not be, and then I'm seeing cases not get charged that should. We're in a very weird time with judicial system. And I think the ones that wear the black robes are critical. You know, the jurists are an important part of the process. And the thing about judges... They don't get paid the money they should. Um, you just don't get enough money as a judge. It's a power position. It is certainly a position of authority. You run your court. But for many, it would be a pay cut. Um, a huge pay cut in that matter. And in the probate court in Shiawassee, people may have heard that Doug Corwin has thrown his hat in the ring. Don't talk about Doug Corbin for a minute. And I have nothing personal against Judge Dignan. Um, I know there's some issues going on there, and I don't have any first-hand knowledge of it. And my first reaction is when you attack somebody in Shiawassee who I care about, I want to protect them. And I don't like judges being targeted. It's just not my thing. In fact, judges I can't stand, I would always try to protect because i think we're supposed to protect ourselves in this profession with that being stated um doug corwin is one of the best legal minds i've ever come across he's somebody who runs the public defender's office i think him and amy houston do a hell of a job i'm assuming if doug wins amy will take over that position and she'd be a great fit um doug's a great guy he's a great legal mind and I certainly will endorse Doug um, when he goes for a probate judge and I can't think of somebody who would be a better fit on that bench I mean I imagine in a perfect world and I know things have to fall certain ways but Judge Stewart should be in the circuit court for life and I hope Matt McComb makes a move at district court when the time comes i'd love to see doug in the probate court and i think that would be give shia an amazing amount of jurist that would be a cut above um and i think judge clark's and somebody i respect a lot but i think he's about to age out so if matt mccone does go for district court judge i mean i certainly support him And Doug, nothing against Judge Dignam, but I think Doug Corwin is an amazing fit for the probate bench. Um, There'll be an election. And I certainly will get behind him completely. I've learned so much from Doug Corwin. And, uh, yeah, be a good fit. You agree with that? Live audience says yes. I mean, if the live audience is supporting Doug Corwin, how the hell could we not? Anyway, now that we're done with the legalese, and candidates we support let's talk about conversations in weird places i know it's what some people are waiting for and um i don't know it's it's weird how certain events can lead you to saying things that were on your mind i think in everyday society We all have things in our mind that we keep to ourselves. And I've always believed silence is golden. An old guy in Jersey once taught me, you never know how stupid somebody is until they open their mouth. And those quiet people are the ones you gotta watch out for. And I've learned this in relationships. I've learned this professionally. The ones that are quiet, you know, they could could hide some of those crazy things. But when the moment hits, yeah, things would get weird. And sometimes certain events, even without alcohol, alcohol certainly enhances social inabilities, but um, certain events just lead people to be empowered to say things in the back of their mind. And I'm going to went over a few of these things today. I going over some old journals and stuff, and I don't know. I don't know, I'm going to tell some stories today and let me say this. I know a lot of people are very impressed with me as a lawyer and some people like my writing and people are amazed at my work ethic, but let me be very clear as I tell some of these stories. What I do, I'm told I do very well, but you don't really want to turn to me for things outside of what I do because what goes on in my mind might be different than what goes on in some other people's mind, And I I said this to Aaron Abera yesterday, and Joe Ibera says too many times. I mean, those two people know another side of me. We would call this the Lost Tates, if you would. And there's things the Abera family has seen, which I think would horrify other people. But I mean, you know, they've embraced me as a friend. I appreciate that. But, you know, I'm really good in court and I'm not always the most logical. I'm always logical, I guess the most functional outside of court. And these stories will share some of that. Catholic friends out there, you know what blessing of the sea means, right? In Atlantic Seas was a big thing. The blessing of the sea was a huge Catholic event where the priest would come out and they would put holy water into the ocean. Now I'm not going to try to hurt anybody's religious feelings right now, but whatever happened at Blessing of the Sea in Jersey, it was an event and people who didn't go to church all year, they piled into the boardwalk and, ah, Blessing of the Sea, the press was there and the cameras were flashing and Mayor Whalen was in the boat for the Blessing of the Sea. People would often get drunk before the Blessing of the Sea. Now always found it interesting when people are drinking in the morning. Because you understand, if you start drinking in the morning, I think think of the tailgate analogy, right? Um, You start drinking in the morning, and now it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You've been drinking for a few hours, and things may happen that normally wouldn't happen, right? And I'm with some friends at the Blessing of the Sea, and, you know let's start with that statement. I am with some friends, the blessing of the sea. What the hell is going on in my life at that point? But I'm there. And there was this girl my friend was dating. Very pretty girl. She seemed very nice, and she was very quiet. We learn later that she's crazy, but you don't know it at the time. Because again, and keep this in mind, crazy people out there you keep your mouth shut, you could hide the craziness for a longer period of time. And she was the quietest person in the world until she drank. And while... <laughs> while she was drinking, she decided to have the courage to break up with my friend at the blessing of the sea. I remember walking down the boardwalk and, um, and she tells him, let's just call him George. She goes, George. I'm sorry, I've been hooking up with two of your close friends, and, you know, I, I want to tell you today, Blessing to see we're done. Now, I want you to keep in mind, there's four of us walking down the boardwalk, and she says two of your close friends. I can tell you, I wasn't the one she was hooking up with. I'm not do that to my friends, right? And he looks at me initially, like, is she hooking up with you? I'm like, No! I'm the only sober one here. I'm the only one apparently not involved in this weird thing. And he starts crying and I'm like, okay, let me tell you, when a Jersey guy cries over a relationship, I, I don't know. It's just not good, right? It's not a good look. I I, I don't know. Like, don't cry. I mean, if you're going to cry, you don't do it in front of the other person, right? Come on, guys. But he's bawling his eyes out, crying his eyes out. And she left with these two other people who I'm assuming were the ones she was hooking up with on a regular basis. And now I'm here alone with this poor bastard at the blessing of the sea. And I've learned at this point of life that I'm probably not the one to ask relationship advice to. Because he was crying his eyes out, and I'm patting him on the back. Hey, man, it's okay. You're better than her. Things will be all right. And he goes, "You don't understand. I loved her." All right, whatever, dude. Right? But you can't say whatever, dude. You have to. You're trying to lock in on the needs of your friend. And by the way, I didn't really like George that much, but you felt bad for him. We're there to bless you to see. We're not reaching our potential yet and he's crying, and he's drinking. We're watching the water crash, and I'm thinking, God damn, why am I not in law school yet? This is just horrible, but, okay. He goes, how will I ever get over this? And, again, guys, these are those moments. I'm not the one to ask these things to. Because I said, well, she's got an identical twin, right? yeah well clearly you're physically attracted to her and of her twins identical and he wasn't putting it together and i'm like all right dude what i want you to do sober up hit the gym put on a nice suit and go after the twin tell the twin you were always into her he, he took it too far he ended up marrying the twin <laughs> I thought it was good advice, and I have learned throughout the years, again, my relationship advice is not always the best, and that leads me to, when I was briefly, okay, (laughs) I know, this is going to get twisted, for a while, for a while, there was a newspaper back home, and they needed a Dear John columnist and they asked me to do it. And let me tell you something. When I was Dear John, it was not good. And I said to the editor, You know, I really want to write sports. And he's like, Ah, oh, we want to do this Dear John column. And, you know, at first it was very conservative. I start, yeah, This is what you should do in these situations. Eventually, the editor, who had a real bad drinking problem himself, didn't want to check my work anymore. And he says to me one day, Well, why don't you just do what you want, write whatever you want, you'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, really? Hm, okay. And you gotta understand now, people are like, telling me their deepest, darkest secrets. And, and now they're saying, well, <laughs> you know... If dear John said it that's just what I'll do I'm like oh hold on I don't know take the Eagles to the points I don't like they don't this is not a great idea it's not a good fit but at the time you know I'm working a couple jobs and I'm you know I'm working on the side and I'm doing the dear John stuff and nobody ever knew who I was but you know it was weird you start figuring things out right It was a small community there I'm like huh I bet that's George. You know, one of those things. Um. So things really hit the fan because people were like re- really listening to my advice. And okay, again, like why would you take my advice? Because I'm dear John now. And um, you know, I there was this guy, Chris, and I had a feeling I knew who Chris was. And this guy is bowling. And now this is the time when they start DMing you. And I, people are like sliding into your DMs. And I'm the Dear John DM. Which was like a, my picture as Dear John was like an Eagles football helmet. A Kelly Green Eagles football helmet from the 80s. So nobody could figure out who I was. I mean, unless they started, you know, my Facebook headlines start saying things. Which, if you knew me, like, Aaron O'Bear could have figured out that was Bill Amadeo. But... But in church, South Jersey they couldn't I you know, they really, they weren't catching on to things, and I'm saying weird stuff and people are buying into it, and I've always said, once I started winning jury trials, the weird stuff I said became unique, he wasn't weird anymore, that's was cool, alright. So this poor guy Chris, and he's crying, she cheated on me and she broke my heart and I don't know what to do, and I gave this thoughtful reply. And you know, and it, like, Chris, I understand what you're going through. Blah, blah, blah. And I said, what does her best friend look like? And, I mean, so people, this was my advice, you know? All right, she screwed you over. Go after her hot friend, that'll show her. And my editor's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be coaching these people through these things. I am. Like this this is my idea of coaching! What do you mean to say? We go to therapy? Don't screw it, dude! She rolled on you. Let's get even. Shortly after, I was no longer needed the Dear John Colin. Um. I lost that job. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so... I've learned sometimes watching movies or going to um, social events can lead people to uh, really say what's on their mind or what's in the back of their mind. And they don't really think in these situations. And I guess my first scenario of this that I'm going to talk about today is um, Friday Night Lights. And I love Friday Night Lights. It is my favorite movie of all time. And I am, uh, I'm at my apartment in law school at Village Green. Some of these cool stories happen at the Village Green apartment complex. Shout out to Josh Woodman. And I'm with a couple friends watching Friday Night Lights. And the ending scene, I'll post some of these scenes later. The ending scene in Friday Night Lights is absolutely amazing. Billingsley, Winchell, and Chavez are talking, right? And this scene always gets to me. And, okay, back then, let me be clear, I didn't have any money. I didn't have DVR back then. So when you're watching it, you gotta watch it, right? And it was not on DVD. I actually was watching it on, like, it came on, like, ESPN Classic or something, And I'm excited and I'm watching it with some law school friends and in this scene at the end they say I'm gonna miss the heat I'm gonna miss the lights me too and the cars drive away and it's a perfect scene and you realize this is it for these guys in some ways it's the best time of their life and it's over and they experience this bond but the bond will never be the same right and as I'm watching this, this guy in law school starts crying, talking about how he's been cheating on his girlfriend, he don't know what to do, and he's going to tell her about it, and he wrecked the scene. And I remember, like I almost like, choked him out, and it was like, why was that scene the motivator for you to tell us? He could have waited till after the movie was over, you know, there's so many things he could have done, and you're so pissed off as like a second term law school, that this guy just wrecked this scene for you, and I don't know, but the scene, and I I built it up so much, and this was my fault, and I'm like, guys, some of us saw the movie before, some of us didn't, and I hate people that wrecked the movie before, but I couldn't help myself, I was one of those people there, I'm like, this scene coming up, everybody shut up, when they're saying goodbye to each other, and it's over, and Winchell throws the football to the kids of the next generation. Holy shit, this is a perfect scene. And it was almost like that was his cue to wreck the scene for me. Now, today'd be no big deal. I'd pause it. I'd listen to your problem. Back then, it was a pro- it pissed me off. And that term break, weirder things happened. Why do, um... People at nightclubs feel the need to spill their guts. You guys ever experienced that before? Right. So I'm on turn break. And I'm back. And we're going to a bar at the Brigada. And there's nothing quite as fun as going to a casino bar when you don't drink. I don't drink. You know that. No, I don't drink. But I'm buying people drinks. And I'm there with my friends. And... You know, it's weird now because everything's changed. These are people that work till four o'clock in the morning and now yeah, I'm going to bed like 10 o'clock at night. Good call, Ashley Williamson. Alcohol plays a role. And um, I'm there and it's like 1230 at night and I'm really tired. And they're all, they're just getting started. I mean, they work till four usually, so this is early for them. And uh, this girl, who I always liked growing up, she comes up to me at the bar. And she starts professing her love for me. And she goes, you know, I've always been into you. I always knew you were going to get out of here. What really turns me on and this and that. And that would have been fine, you know, for her expressing herself to me. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But, you know, her uh, boyfriend was with her who was an MMA fighter and on steroid freak. And um, he didn't take too kindly to this. And I I always kind of wondered, like, this was one of those situations where character and fitness is going to work really against me now. I'm going to get in a bar fight at the goddamn Brigada because this chick I knew growing up professed her love in front of her freaking cage-fighting boyfriend who wants to kill me now. Not a good look. But I digress. And we moved on, right? Anybody ever watched the movie Great Expectations? Let me tell you it's not really my type of flick but there was a girl i was very serious with in law school for all the girls i dated in law school she was the one that i would say she was my favorite and we were really um i thought we had a deep connection uh, very deep connection i thought and she wants to come over to village green and watch great expectations well now at this point things are improving financially i got dvds now so we could pause and not wreck scenes Haha. so the thing about her that was really unique that really drew me in was a poor girl and i thought like we had this insane connection we were two poor kids we we're gonna be big time lawyers and be together forever and, um, she wants to watch Great Expectations with me. Alright, I go run it. I'd seen the movie before, I wasn't a huge fan, but, you know. And there's this scene. There's this scene in Great Expectations, and I'll, I'll post a scene later. Finn has just sold all his paintings. Now, he doesn't realize that Robert De Niro bought them all for him, but okay. He sold his paintings. And he's walking down the street with a bottle of liquor. And the scene is called Special in Me, right? And it resonated with me. And we are cuddled up on my little Goodwill couch in Lansing, Michigan, watching Great Expectations. And this scene comes on. the scene goes like this. I'll post it. Finn says, today all my dreams came true and like all happy endings, it was a tragedy of my own device. For I had succeeded. I had cut myself loose from Joe, from the past, from poverty. I had invented myself. I'd done it coolly, but I had done it. I was free. And we're holding each other, hugging each other, watching this scene. And I'm like, wow. And I said to her, it's intense, right? And I, I've seen this scene before, but that's intense. And she's crying like she's feeling the moment. And she goes, yes, yes, it's such an intense scene. I said, "Yeah, it's like me and you, right? We made it from poverty. We're going to make it. We're going to pass those bar exams and do all this. And, um... She told me, I've been cheating on you. like, what? And apparently the scene gave her the courage to tell me that. And I said, wait, wait, what happened now? And she's like, I've been cheating on you with a lawyer from my externship. She goes, and I don't feel for him what I feel for you, but he has so much money. And I responded, yes, I've seen his picture. He must be a billionaire. (laughs) And Aaron, remember the conversation yesterday about who's got money? So I'm like stunned. Like he left me for him. Holy shit! And the guy was like 30 years old. He had a lot of cash at the time. I mean, glad I'm more successful than him today. (laughs) No bitterness there. But anyway. (laughs) That being said, she broke it down for me. And it was great expectations. It gave her the courage to tell me. Um, yeah. She still sends, like, rise against and Gaslight Anthem songs when she's drunk. And, um, uh, yeah. That was a really different, evolved into a whole different drama. Because he, he was upset that she was still into me. And he tried to screw up the New Jersey Board of uh, Ethics and that. Some of you have heard that before. Let's just move on. The moral to the story was, the Great Expectations scene, where Finn is shouting at the moon and saying how he made it, gave her the courage to tell me she was hooking up with a guy who was 32 years older than me. He was her Manhattan Shore thing and I was her crap crapshoot. Never get those words. Moving on. Got some Soprano fans here, I'm sure. Well, remember when Carmella was hooking up with Mr. Wegler, the English teacher at the private school? I remember that. I'm a big Soprano fan. And I'm watching this with a group of friends in law school. And Wegler, for some reason, he hooks up with Carmella. And he says to Carm, you used me. You used the one bit of equity you had, and you got what you wanted out of me. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so these two just hooked up. And this guy is like talking shit to her. He's probably looking for a way to get out of this thing, but he wants to hook up with her. And I I don't know. And I'm like thinking, okay, Wegler, number one, you're hooking up with Carmelo Soprano. Pro. (laughs) Listen. So it's not a guy working at the local a it's Tony Soprano's oh. woman, and you, you might want to pick your spots better, right? Okay. But then you piss her off. And one of the guys in the room is moved by this scene. Okay. He goes, guys, pause it. And now, you know, again, socioeconomics is improving. We went from the idiot killing Friday Night Lights for me when you had no DVR, and then the ex girlfriend breaking up with me when I had the DVD for great expectations. Well, now I got DVR. We're cruising the right direction. At some point, Scott Grable's going to hire me, and things are going to be good financially. But we're a long way from there, but we are definitely moving to the point where no more frozen macaroni and cheese for dinner now. Now I can get a sandwich from Subway. Yeah. So we're moving in that direction. We put the thing on pause. And he tells me that because of what Mr. Wegler said to Carmelo Soprano, he went to tell us about him having an affair with this law school professor. Now this law school professor was extremely married, and he's crying how she won't leave her husband. And then he starts telling us all sorts of weird stuff with them. And I gotta tell you, this of a few times, because if you knew this professor, and you knew her husband. It was one of the few times I will say the interruption was actually better than what was on the TV. And I love The Sopranos. But that story, we will protect names, protect the guilty, but holy shit! It was well worth the pause. I mean, I gotta tell you. In 2005, when I had Friday Night Lights interrupted, a story that good, I would've would've given up Friday Night Lights. This was well worth pausing the DVR, and Mr. Wegler... Talking shit to Carmelo Soprano gave him the courage to tell us about this. By the way, to that low school professor, you might want to pick your spots better. Because it took one weird scene from The Sopranos for him to tell your whole life story. So, watch it back there. <laughs> Lastly, I gotta wonder. Um, I had some people send me some texts recently. And there were some ex-girlfriends, and let me say this. I'm Italian from Jersey, Um, and I guess Italian is close to Hispanic. I don't know. I mean, at some point, I imagine all our ancestors were hooking up with each other, but whatever. But I guess by the book, I would check Caucasian. And the people that I was dating that sent these texts are also Caucasian. So I want you to think of a white girl... Texting her ex white guy boyfriend, and the texts were like, "Hey, Happy Cinco de Mayo!" exclamation point. <laughs> Aaron, um, this is from I was telling you about yesterday. Those Cinco de Mayo texts got a little weird. I'm getting weird Cinco de Mayo texts, and at first I'm just looking like, "Huh? Why is an ex girlfriend wishing me Happy Cinco de Mayo?" They must really be desperate to talk. I don't know. And you're tired and you're working a lot. And I start responding. Thank you! (laughs) I can't believe you remembered me on Cinco de Mayo. And then, you know, work took some weird turns and you're frustrated with this one case. And another Cinco de Mayo text came in. You might These people are drunk, right? Like, I, I get crazy... Drunk Taxes on Cinco de Mayo, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve's my favorite. I mean, New Year's Eve, Drunken Taxes from axes. that is like, that's a reality show. (laughs) I saw you on Google, screw you. (laughs) Thank you. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. But, um, I I finally said to the one, it was like four of them that texted me, and I, I said to the fourth one, I was frustrated at work, and I'm like, so... Why did you text me on Cinco de Mayo? I'm just curious, you know, we're white and I don't drink. It's May 5th, okay. I mean, good, good for you. I'm sure you're having a good time. You know, you didn't have to send Cinco de Mayo text. And she's, oh, if I said happy Columbus day, would that have been better? Well, I mean, okay, I get it. I, I get where she's going. Columbus is Italian, right? Okay, but you know, it's not um, Columbus day. And I, I said to her, well, you know, Columbus Day is in October and I got some heavy trials coming up and it's football season. You probably shouldn't text them. But, I don't know. It, it just got really weird. So for for those of you out there, happy Cinco de Mayo. I missed it. Uh, no, Christy Carey, I'm just Italian. There's no Mexican blood in me that I know of. I mean, who knows, I guess, but no. I think it was just people trying to connect. and <clears throat> White girls saying their exes... Cinco de Mayo, Texas, I thought was on. Yeah, just me. All right. This is good. We don't need a competency order yet, right? All right, good. I am Bill Amadeo, and
0: I hope you... Have a good weekend, guys. I'm out.